Well, welcome to day 127 of the peaceful protest. We made a decision on, in May to be open on Pentecost Sunday, and today we are still open. And uh, it doesn't look like uh, there are too many objectors in the room, so God bless you, we're glad to be here. Church was meant to be together. We were meant to assemble, as Pastor Nate said so well last week in his message. Thank you, Pastor Nate, for speaking. It did a great job. The early church was known in the book of Acts for constantly being threatened. They were threatened on every hand because they were so counterculture that the society at the time didn't know what to do with them. I love the account in Acts 4 where they preached the gospel and they arrested them. In the middle of the night, the angels let them loose. They went back out and preached again. They couldn't figure out how they got out there. They went out and they threatened them again. And they said, we must obey God rather than man. And they didn't know what to do with them, so they just left them alone. The Attorney General, General, uh, Attorney General Barr said this, the Constitution is not suspended in times of crisis. We must therefore be vigilant to ensure its protections are preserved at the same time the public is protected. I wanna to read to you the First Amendment because some of us say it's our First Amendment rights and maybe you're not that familiar with what it actually says. So I wanna bring it to your attention. Congress shall make no law, underscore the word no, no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. What that really means is you cannot make any law to stop us from doing what we're doing today. I realize that we're not the majority voice on this matter, but that's okay. Um, it goes on to say this, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or of the right of the people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. I wanna give you a little history of what's happening, just highlighting a few churches in California. Uh, some of these are friends, some of these are associates, some of these are just brothers, uh, pastors in arms with us. Godspeak Calvary Chapel in Thousand Oaks was threatened and then uh, fined for contempt of court find $1,000 a day. Uh, the good news is someone stepped up, so we'll be glad to pay that $1,000 a day to stay open. You see, the church is never better than when the church is persecuted. Because to be honest with you, us churches in Orange County have become pretty soft and pretty consumer-driven. And I think the greatest thing that happened was the disruption in the status quo that caused many people to choose a church based on the color of carpet, the walls, the kids program, the youth program, and not the Spirit of God directing their heart. <laughs> Harvest Rock Church in Pasadena was threatened. You're gonna see a pattern here. And then criminal charges. They said, we're gonna arrest the pastor and all the congregants. I would love to see that on news. Grace Community Church in Sun Valley was threatened. Uh, they're in a lawsuit now. And when they finally couldn't do anything else, they canceled a 45-year parking lease with the county. 
that is in a flood zone that cannot be used for anything but the parking lot. So it's really interesting how the government approaches this subject. Awaken Church, friend of ours, he just did our staff meeting, Jurgen uh, Matthias, uh, his church was threatened and the public health official condemned him publicly on TV. Um, so we're living in some interesting days. We're living in days which demand more from the body of Christ than ever before. When politicians overreach their authority and disregard the First Amendment, it's time to stand and be the counterculture people that we were designed by Almighty God to be. Churches all across California are closed by intimidation and fear. Too many have forsaken the mantle of the prophet, and I don't mean the one who's trying to figure out what your future looks like. I mean the fourth teller, thus says the word of God. Too many are content in the safety of silence and unwilling to proclaim the kingdom from the rooftop. I've got good news. God's kingdom specializes in breaking the dominion of Satan. In your own life and in my life, the things we struggle with, the things you struggle with in life, God specializes in breaking that fear off of you, breaking that sin off of you, challenging you to be a better person, to be a stronger believer, to be like Jesus Christ. And sometimes you say, what can I do? God says, let me do it. You're so worried about what you can do. If you will just be obedient to what I tell you in my word, I promise that my words will lead you, guide you, my spirit will perfect you and bring you into the fullness of the glory of Almighty God. That's what we believe. We don't believe in this religion that tries to mandate by guilt, but rather this incarnation of the Spirit of God in us whereby we walk and we live in the power of God and the only explanation of our life is Jesus Christ, the Word of God and the Spirit of God powerfully moving in the people of God, amen? Can you put your hands and give God glory for that? There's a battle that has been raging ever since Genesis and we see it in Adam and Eve but we really see it culminate in a man by the name of Nimrod in Genesis chapter 10 in verse 10. It's called the first human kingdom. It's the kingdom of Babylon. The interesting thing about Babylon, it never stops until Revelation chapter 17. Babylon is more than a location, it is a mindset, it is a spiritual force that empowers those who are anti-God. Nimrod was anti-God. It was Nimrod that went out and first took slaves among mankind. It was Nimrod that took the life of many, became this hunter of men, not of animals, but of men. And we see this Babylonian theory or, or system that works all the way through until finally Babylon in Revelation chapter 17 is called the great whore that deceives the nations that all the kings of the earth, they come and they bow down to Babylon, the mystery religion. And that religion will be culminated in the end of time. What we understand is this from the scripture in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12, we begin to see little pieces of how God works in his kingdom to counteract what Babylon is doing. And can I give you good news? You have nothing to fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear. If you have it, you didn't get it from him. You found it on your own. Throw it off, 
Go to God, let God be your strength, God, let God be your power. God has not given us spirit of, of fear, but of power, love, and this last one is a really good one, a sound mind. Have you found in this, this time that your mind's a little confused, you're trying to get direction, and you know, I, I just said to Tammy the other day, I said, I don't know, I think this COVID thing has made our brains get worse. You know, I don't know whether it's a mask does it or what does it, I just, I put the mask on, I can't think. I can't hear, I don't know what's going on, it's just weird. But, um, but I, wanna sh- I wanna show you little pieces of the kingdom, then we're gonna give you a chart to kinda help you understand this. From the days of John the Baptist, it says, the battle for the kingdom, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12, for the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Now let me just pause there and give you a little insight. It talks about John the Baptist until the moment Jesus spoke these words, in his earthly ministry. And he says, there suffers violence. In other words, the kingdom, when John came on the scene, all of a sudden he, bur- he raised the water level and the stakes were high. Because now every demon spirit knew that John was the forerunner of the Messiah and that things were getting ready to get difficult for their side. And so John comes and it's suffering violence. That is, people are trying to, trying to take advantage of it. They're trying to stop what John was doing. But notice the second part, and the violent take it by force. Now that violent, you might think, well, that sounds like a bad word, but actually in the Greek, it's not a word that so much means like evil or violent or ruthless. It means those who are strong and determined and will not give up. That's what you need to be. You need to be strong and confident and unwilling to give up in the middle of a storm. And it says they take it by force. One of the things we learn in scripture is both men and demons have challenged God's kingdom since the beginning of time. That will not stop. But the kingdom advances through vigorous and forceful action on the part of people like you and like me. Do you realize it's a forceful action when you tell someone about Jesus? When you just love them in the power of God, do you realize that's a forceful action? Because what you're doing is you're bringing this other world culture into their sphere of understanding. They're confronted with the idea in a very positive, loving way. I don't mean a negative way. They're confronted with the reality that there is a God He loves them. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead to give them eternal life. And that is a violent action because you're going against the powers of darkness in establishing in that moment truth, light, and the power of Almighty God. Amen? So don't think, well, there's, what can I do? Speak his name. Pray. Live out your faith. Encourage people, be a bridge, don't be a wall. Find ways to bring people into the kingdom of God. In the book of Acts chapter 28 and 31, it says they were proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look what it says, with all boldness. Let me tell you how you know if you're bold. You're afraid someone's gonna shut you down. You're intimidated by them. You think that they won't, won't listen to you, but you push anyway into that world. That's bold. Boldness is not going, well, you know, I'm just gonna try to live out my life and hope that they see Jesus in me. They won't. That's been, that's, 
see, the preaching of the gospel, the only way people can be saved, the Bible says, is by the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't get saved because you're a good person. I know a lot of people are good people, but they're not Christians. You have to speak the word of God because it's not your life, it's his word and his spirit that brings about regeneration and brings about the life of God in another person. You say, well, I don't know the Bible very well. Then just carry one with you. Open up your app and just go, look, this is what it says. And if somebody says, well, what does that mean? I don't know, but this is what it says. And then run. Right? Do something, amen? My dad used to say, uh, he would give me an assignment, and I'd say, I don't know how to do that. And he said, what do you know how to do? I said, well, I can do that. He said, okay, go do that. You see, do something for the kingdom, amen? Move in the direction of God somehow. It says they were preaching the kingdom of, of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You know what that, that means? That means they threatened them, but they couldn't stop them. They threatened them, but they could not stop them. thought this was interesting. Richard Todd, in his, in his work on the fall of the Roman Empire, said this. Now, remember, he's writing about the church in the first century, but it is just as applicable today in our century. The church, while preaching against abuses, contributed to the decline by discouraging good Christians from holding public office. We were never meant to be in a cocoon. We were meant to be in the marketplace. We were meant to be proclaimers. We were meant to hold office. We were meant to, to influence all the industries that are out there in one way or another. We were called to do that. If we don't do it, then we relinquish everything. It's kind of like Christians for too long have just kind of sat in the back and they've complained about liberal politicians. Well, go be a conservative one then. That's how you change it. We don't change it. Well, I just know the Lord's coming back soon, so I don't worry about it. That's bad theology. We're supposed to be living out our faith every day as if he's coming back, but we're gonna live our faith out in such a way that we want this, this world and this nation, this country and this state to be a better place for us and for our children's children, amen? Here's what he said. The church, while preaching against abuses, listen to it again, contributed to the decline. They were complicit in the decline of the Roman Empire by discouraging good Christians from holding public office. There is a mystery in the kingdom. The mystery of the kingdom, you look and say, how does the kingdom work? Uh, my wife and I were living on the, uh, uh, on the East Coast during 9-11, and you've heard some of our story, but we flew out of LaGuardia that morning, and as we flew by the Twin Towers, the first tower was already on fire. We looked out our, our window and saw the tower on fire. Didn't know it was a plane. We just assumed that it was on fire. It would only be late that we'd be downed in Detroit that we would learn we were under a terrorist attack. And you know, everyone that you talk to, uh, our air conditioner went out yesterday and so I was on the phone this morning and uh, hey, these things happen. And I was on the phone this morning and, and I brought up 9-11 to the gal, I didn't even know her, you know, and she, we just got talking, she said, everybody remembers where they were on 9-11 if they were old enough to remember. Why is that? I promise you no one will ever remember the day the riots started in Seattle or Portland. Let me tell you why. Because it had nothing to do with what it means to be an American. 
When I learned that New York, they've since, uh, I think, changed their mind out of pressure, was not going to have a 9-11 memorial this year, we decided that we would have one. And so we're gonna have a memorial service, a time to remember, and a time to go beyond that, not just to remember the victims of 9-11 in that event, but we're also gonna go beyond that and remember our first responders that have acted so heroically through this period of time. I was on the phone with uh, the chief of police for Anaheim yesterday, and we were talking. He'll be here at our event, and we were just talking about things, and it was so great to have that kind of relationship with the chief of police, and we could talk about God, we could talk about church, we could talk about what's happening in our world. But let me just give you a, a quick rundown of what you're gonna experience. I hope you will be here on Friday night and bring friends with you. It's gonna be a great night. We're gonna have, we're gonna have music, we're gonna have a, a laser light show, we're gonna have a, a great speaker, we're gonna have a lot of people have already, dignitaries have already signed up to be here. Uh, my friend, uh, your friend, uh, helped start this church with us, James Rogan, former congressman. Uh, he was appointed by Bush as the Undersecretary of Commerce. He's now a Superior Court judge. He was a lead prosecutor in the U.S. Senate impeachment of President Clinton. And he's going to speak, and he, he is a powerful speaker. You're going to love him. Major Williams, candidate for governor, is going to be back with us on that night. You remember Ken Williams? Ken Williams, who, who uh, was running for school board, and he was uh, out out supplied in terms of cash, and we brought him here, we prayed for him, and he got elected to the school board. He'll be with us, that's the third district. Uh, Ward Smith, former chief of police, Placentia, uh, now mayor, and he sits at our front door as one of our security guards. We have the mayor guarding our front door. Think about that. Beth Haney, Mary, uh, mayor of Anaheim, will be here. Senator Morlock will be here. Young Kim, congresswoman from 39th District, will be here. Trevor O'Neill, the city council, Anaheim. Uh, Jorge Saneros, uh, chief of police in Anaheim, will be here. Senator Ling Ling Chang will be here. Uh, will you be here? It's going to be a great night. And just to, just to bait some of you who aren't that patriotic, we're going to have Italian ice that night, too. And it'll be free, so don't worry, you cheapos. Luke chapter 16 and verse 16. Remember, we're talking about the kingdom. We're gonna break it into little pieces for you. We're gonna make this hopefully understandable. Uh, it says in, in Luke 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Remember we read earlier that it was John up to that place. Now it's looking backwards and saying the law and the prophets. So when you open up your Bible, you have an Old Testament and a New Testament. And within that Old and New Testament, there are little divisions. And one of the things that he's saying here is the law, that would be from Moses, so basically going from Moses all the way up to the last prophet in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And it says the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. Now what's he saying? He's saying when all of a sudden Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, people began to press in. They were curious. They said, what is this message? Can you tell us what this means? When John asked the question of Jesus, he said, let me tell you something. The blind are seeing. The lame are walking. The prisoners are set free. The kingdom of God is among you right now. Now, we're living in the fullness of the kingdom, in the fullness of the revelation, and the fullness of the spirit of Almighty God, amen? 
Now we're gonna put a, an image up here on the screen. If you wanna take out your phone and get a picture of it, it might help you to remember what's going on. I'm gonna walk you through it just a little at a time and hopefully it'll, uh, it'll make sense. The kingdom strategy, this is part of how God works. God works by a very definite plan. So nothing is arbitrary or capricious on God's part. So when we go back here, if you go back to the far left of this diagram, you notice 606 BC. Okay, that was when Israel went into captivity. So if I could fast forward, if I had on this map 1948 when Israel became a nation, we could say that Israel was in captivity from 606 BC until 1948, or roughly 2,500 years, they have not been a nation. It was prophesied in Isaiah 66 that Israel would be born in a day, and it was in 1948. Against all odds, they were birthed. So I want you to begin to see captivity, so Israel are now scattered all around the world. The regathering happened according to prophetic word in 1948 in Israel, and then, God, and then they, they issued something called basically the open enrollment, I call it, that any Jew living anywhere in the world can come and be an Israeli citizen on, in that country. And that was their law of return, 1950. All right, so now what are we living in? We're living in right now what's called the times of the Gentiles. You say, what's a Gentile? Well, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Got it? All right, how many Gentiles in the room? Raise your hand. How many Jews in the room? You got any Jewish blood in you? 23andMe has identified some people, but all right, not many Jews, all right? But those days are coming, all right? The times of the Gentiles, what that means is when Israel gave up their right to rule and to run God's program, God turned to the Gentiles and said, you take it then. And that birthed the church. So we, what we see here is on Pentecost, Acts chapter two, now we're living in what's called the fullness of the Gentiles. So the times of the Gentiles refers to just the power of, of the world being in the hands of non-Jews, okay, and non-Christians most of the time. But what happens in the fullness, that's when the Holy Spirit comes, he bursts the church, Acts chapter two, and the church is here until you see where it says 1 Thessalonians four, and there's a rapture till the church is taken out of planet Earth. What happens at that point, we begin the tribulation period. You see tribulation, that's Revelation chapter six through 19. Uh, at the end of that uh, tribulation period, there'd be a battle called the Battle of Armageddon, and then the second coming of Jesus Christ, we enter into the millennial kingdom, or peace, or reign of God. So this is kind of a, a, a fast, quick look at the timeline or the strategy of the kingdom of God. So let me talk a little bit about the times of the Gentiles. Are you ready to learn? All right, this is a learning moment. All right, Acts, uh, Luke chapter 21 and verse 24. Look what it says about the times of the Gentiles. And they will fall by the edge of the sword, be led away into captivity into all nations. The Jews would be what? Well, the nation would fall at the edge of the sword, and they would be scattered all over the world. It didn't matter what part of the world you went to, you would find a Jewish community and Jerusalem would be trampled down until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now we can argue one of two ways here. We could argue that that time has not yet been fulfilled, or we could also look at it from in 1967 with the Six Day War, Israel for the first time in 2,500 years regained control of Jerusalem. 
If 1967 is the date, you can see how prophetically that changes the whole scenario. Because now when we look at that chart, we look at it a little bit differently. Let's look at the fullness of the Gentiles. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Here's what Paul writes. He said, for I do not, uh, do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the mystery. Now, when the Bible uses the word mystery, it's a Greek word, mysterion, and it means something hidden to be revealed at a later time. It's not like something mysterious like weird, you know, like <laughs> It's not that kind of mystery. It's like God says, I'm gonna put some mysteries here and I'm gonna unlock those mysteries in the heart and the mind of people, the people of God, who sincerely wanna know what the Spirit of God has to say. And so it says here that there's a mystery. It says that you should not be ignorant or uninformed of the mystery. Now God has several of these where he says, do not be uninformed, do not be ignorant of the mystery. Like one of the, th the things he says don't be uninformed about are spiritual gifts. Another one is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Another one is the mystery of lawlessness. Did you know there's a mystery of lawlessness? You say, well, what's going on in our world today? It's a mystery of lawlessness. The evil is working behind the scenes to, to try to disrupt all the opportunity for the gospel to go forward. But this one here is the mystery. This is a mystery regarding the nation of Israel and specifically the fullness of the Gentiles. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion. What happens when you don't seek to, to, to settle yourself deep in the word of God is you become opinionated. You think you know more than the latest politician. Hey, I got news for everyone here. There is no politician who can solve the problem of the world. There's only one, and his name is God, and he is the king of kings, the governor of governors. He is the Lord of lords. He is the bright and shining star. He is Emmanuel. He is the bright and morning star. He is God. That doesn't mean you wash your hands and say, well, what's the use of even voting? You vote because you are supposed to take control of society through the, through the constitutional republic we live in and influence good so for your benefit and for the gospel's benefit and for your children and your children's children's benefit. That's why you do that. He says that blindness, now listen to this, the blindness in part has happened to Israel. So Israel right now, why aren't more Jews saved? It is because there's a blindness that has come over them out of rejection for the gospel and for the Messiah. That blindness was, a, was there intentionally put there by God to create jealousy on the part of the Jews to make them long to get back to the things of God. And that's why you're beginning to see things happening where there is a drawing back of Israel, but it's going to end in a great revival of Israel coming back to the faith. It says this blindness in part, not all Jews, has happened to Israel until when? Till the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What does that mean? That means when God looks at the timetable and says all the Gentiles who are ever going to be saved are now saved. All the ones that are left have a hard heart. God says, okay, open the door, take off the blinders, and watch this great revival among the Jews in the end times. That's what he's saying here. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? All right. Now let me talk to you about the coming kingdom. 
You know, we live as kingdom people. What that means is we are to carry out our life in the spirit of God everywhere we go, and we're to influence for good. We're to be salt and light in our world. You know, when you put salt on a wound, what does it do? A little help. It burns, it hurts, right? Well, so sometimes you apply salt and you go, oh, you know, that, it's a little bit uncomfortable for me. And you put light on a subject, what do you do? You find stuff. You see, when you put light on a situation, people can find God. Don't be, don't be discouraged because a little salt is, dis, is disruptive and uncomfortable. Keep putting the salt, but put the light on the situation. Let people understand what it means to really know and love God. But let me talk to you about the coming kingdom because we're living right now in just a little piece of the kingdom of God. We're just kind of experiencing just a taste of it. But guess what? There's gonna come a time where God is gonna open up even more. In fact, next week, God will open up more. And the week after, God will open up more to you. You'll see more and more of God because the revelation of God is progressive. That means that God is always revealing through his spirit, by his word, to your heart, what he's up to in our world, amen? Haggai chapter two and verse 22, listen to what God says. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. It's a very interesting word structure. I will overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. He's saying there is a throne that is somehow mandating kingdoms of the earth. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to overthrow that throne. When that throne is overthrown, when the God of this world is overthrown, you're going to begin to see some things happen that are going to be amazing. He said, I will destroy the strength of the Gentile nations. Right now, we as a nation can take a lot of, and I think in a good way, pride in our military and our national defense and all those things. But you see, he's saying there's coming a time where that's not going to be that important. What's gonna be important is to know the Lord is strong and mighty. Daniel chapter two and verse 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Are you looking forward to that day? God says, I got a kingdom coming and no one is gonna destroy it. No one is going to assail it. No one is gonna be able to cross over and enter in and take it down. He says, a kingdom that shall not be destroyed nor the kingdom shall be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Do you realize you're part of a kingdom that cannot fail? Have you ever just thought about that? I'm in an eternal kingdom that cannot fail. It will not fail. Daniel chapter seven, verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to a people of the saints of the most high. Let's back up, what did he say? He said the kingdom, the kingdom, the dominion, and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole of heaven shall be given to who? You. That's what it says to you, you're gonna have dominion, you're gonna have the greatness, you're gonna have dominion over this. The people of the saints of the Most High, their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, their dominions shall serve and obey them. You see, God didn't just design you. You know, it's funny how you watch uh, movies in Hollywood and you know people die and they become little fluffy, cute angels with harps. You know, little, they're always pudgy. Have you ever noticed that? I guess because there's no, exercise in heaven. I don't know what that means. They just kind of float around and strum things and they're cute and that has zero to do with the word of God. 
You're being prepared this very hour for an eternal weight of glory, for your kingdom assignment that is without equal on planet Earth. The Bible says that, do you not know that you will judge angels? Did you ever think about this, the fallen angels, that humanity, saved humanity, will actually judge the angels of God for their rebellion? Oliver Wendell Holmes said, the great thing in the world is not so much where we stand as to what direction we are moving. Where do you stand? You can give me your political stand, but I want to know what direction you're moving. You're moving the direction of God? Are you moving the direction of God? Are you moving fast in the direction of God or slow? I love this scripture in 2 Corinthians 2.14. It says, now thanks be unto God. Just let this, let this word just kind of wash over and minister to you. Now thanks be unto God who always leads us in a triumph in Christ. You ever watch kids that they'll get together and then one will be the leader and they'll all just kind of march behind them in lockstep? They're just kind of following and, and all of a sudden you just see this little, imagine that's you. Christ is at the head of that little, that little train and you're behind it and he says, come on, come on church. I wanna lead you in triumph. I, I want you to understand that you have victory already and through us, now look at this, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. My wife lit a candle the other day and I walked in and go, wow, that smells good. And, and as, I, as I walked out of that room, the fragrance diminished a little bit. And as I got into the backside of the house, I couldn't smell it at all. And I went back and I, I went back in that room a little bit later and there it was again. You see, you are a diffuser of the fragrance of Christ. You gotta be lit. And I don't mean on martinis. You gotta be lit. You gotta be lit with the power of God, with the life of God, amen? And when you're lit with the power of the Spirit of God, you are a diffuser of the fragrance of Christ. Look what else it says. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. You get around another Christian, you ever been around, you say, I think those people are Christians over there. How do you know that? You know, is it because they're you know, dressed not in stylish clothes or because they prayed at dinner? I mean, what, what is it? I think there's something deeper. There, there's something, your spirit bearing witness with their spirit and it's drawing you into that situation. And it said, that's what it says here. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. There's a fragrance that goes out to saved and unsaved, but look what it says. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. To the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient in all these things? When we become who we are supposed to be in this world, we are a fragrance of life. And we can draw people into the kingdom through the fragrance of Christ, amen? See, it's never been about you. It's always been about him, amen? always been about him. Let me ask you something, do you know him? In your heart of hearts, if I ask you the question, or if you stood before Christ right now and he asked you this question, why should I let you into my kingdom, what would you say? 
Would you say I've been a good person or I go to church or I've been baptized or I take communion or I keep the Ten Commandments? You know, none of those are sufficient. The only answer is this, that there was a day in my life when I believed that Jesus died on the cross. I saw myself as a sinner. He died for my sins. He was buried, put in a tomb, and on the third day he rose from the dead. And I gave my life, my, I gave him control of my life. I'm no longer my own, I'm his now. And he saved me on that day. If that's your answer, then that's your salvation. If that's not your answer and you say, I'm, I'm not sure, can I just ask you right now to pray with me a prayer like this one? Whether you're here in this room or you're watching online or you're outside uh, melting in the heat, can I ask you this question? As you pray, pray it like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you gave your life, that you were buried and rose from the dead to give me the gift of eternal life. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and save me right now. If that was your prayer and you meant it when your heart of hearts, would you just thank him? Just thank him right where you are. Just thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. And you begin the journey of walking with God now, of loving God with all your heart.